Want to say hello to um, everybody here. Welcome to everybody who's watching in the gym or in the uh, chapel. Want to welcome everybody that's watching online. Uh, it is cool the way the family of God comes together um, in these times. So, uh, hey, if this is your first time here or maybe your first time back after a while, um, we hope that you uh, feel very welcome. We hope that you feel not only the presence of God, but the love of God's family um, as we gather together. My name is Glenn Barnes, uh, uh, one of the pastors here. And so it is just a privilege um, to be with you and anything that we can do uh, to see you grow and mature in your walk with God, that's what we would love to do. So hey, as you came in, hopefully you received some message notes uh, that look like this. I encourage you to grab those out and we are going to work through those um, together. But I have to tell you uh, that a few years ago, they did a survey where they asked a thousand teenagers this question. They asked a thousand teenagers, what do you want to do for your career? And it turns out that they were shocked by the results of what these teenagers said because a whopping 54% didn't list what we might consider an actual career. 54% said, when I grow up, I want to be, any guesses? Close, not rich. I want to be a celebrity. I want to be famous. Um, now, uh, most of them didn't know how that was going to happen. They thought it was going to maybe be a YouTube or a reality TV show. But uh, 15% said they wanted to be in a medical profession, a doctor or a nurse. 9% said they wanted to be in a, a legal profession. Only 4% said they wanted to be teachers. I didn't see pastor anywhere on the list, which was a little uh, discouraging. But 54% said they wanted to be famous, a celebrity. Uh, they admitted, 70% of those admitted that they have no marketable skills or no, um, you know, nothing that would, you know, cause them to be famous. Um, but as I said, they thought maybe they'd get on YouTube or on a TV show, a reality TV show or something like that. Now, I want to be careful here because I am not picking on teenagers. We love teenagers for sure. Um, and the reality is that there would be a lot of adults that might have that same kind of thinking. In fact, humans in general, Humans in general, all of us, whether we express it or not, have kind of this built-in desire to be recognized and to be celebrated, especially for greatness. People want to be recognized for doing something great. That's why there's always a lot of conversation about the question, who is the goat? Who is the goat? And my mic, or my... Oh, there we go. Who is the goat? So uh, uh, who is the goat? The goat stands for, you guys know what the goat stands for? It stands for the? The greatest of all time. And so people want to know, who is the goat? Is the goat, uh, I'm going to go ahead. Is the goat uh, LeBron James or is it Michael Jordan? All right, how about in football? Is the goat Joe Montana or is it Tom Brady? Hurts me to say it might not be Joe Montana. All right, how about in individual sports? Individual sports, is the GOAT, is it Tiger Woods or is it Serena Williams? Who's the GOAT on individual sports? All right, we got the Olympics coming up this year. Who is the Olympic GOAT? Is it Simone Biles or Michael Phelps? All right, here's one where you might have an opinion on. Um, which is the GOAT? Is it... Chick-fil-A or is it In-N-Out Burger? <laughs> and who else always wants to go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? It's like, it's uncanny. That's the only day that I want to go. So 
Well, this question about being the goat is certainly not a new one. In fact, even the people that walked with Jesus had this question, had this thought about somehow achieving some form of fame and greatness. In fact, on one occasion in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, if you want to open up there, Matthew chapter 20, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples that they're getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Jesus specifically tells them, when I get to Jerusalem, I am going to be mocked, I am going to be flogged, and I am going to be crucified. The very next verse, the very next verse, after Jesus says all these things, the mother of James and John comes, who must be the original helicopter mother, because she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, is there any way that you could give my boys special treatment? Is there any way that you could put them at a place of honor and a place of greatness in the kingdom where one sits on the right and the other sits on the left? And what follows is Jesus blowing up our most common understanding of greatness and prestige as we read up here in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25. Matthew 20, 25 says this. When Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Jesus says, if you're gonna be my disciple, you don't find greatness by lording it over people or by exercising your authority over them. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus does what he often does. He turns things upside down by saying, if you want to achieve greatness, you do it through service. If you want to make it to the top, you don't make it to the top through self-promotion, but you do it through giving up your life in service and sacrifice. So in other words, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to get to the point where you can say that my life is all about the fact that I am a servant of the most high God. And when I serve others, it's like I'm serving Christ himself. All right, I got another question for you. My question is this, what would people say that you are always doing? If someone who knew you well said, oh yeah, I can tell you what that guy's doing. He's always cooking. Yeah, that's true about you, John. Uh, He's always working or, um, you know, she's always encouraging or maybe the flip side, he's always complaining. Um, He's always scrolling through, you know, Instagram. He's always talking politics. He's always talking sports, whatever it would be. What would people say you are always doing? Because today our topic, if, if you haven't picked up on this, is to reconnect to service. And as we talk about service, I want you to see the example of a woman in the New Testament who was always doing something. She is an awesome character. I love her, even though we don't know much about her. Uh, The problem is her name is Dorcas, which, and I'm not joking, her name is actually Dorcas, which may be why she hasn't caught on as more people's favorite Bible character. Um, But we read this about Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 says this. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And get this, she was always doing good and helping the poor. 
So Dorcas is the first Greek woman that we meet in the early church. So that's quite an honor. She's the first non-Jewish person, uh, woman to be a, a leader and to be a servant in the church. Her name actually means gazelle. And so some people think that maybe she was a very beautiful person, but really we don't know that much about her, except we know what she was always doing. She was always doing good and she was always serving the poor. What she did, she actually made clothes. She made clothes for people that were poor or people that were widows. And when she dies, uh, there is uh, this upstairs room. You can read about in Acts 9. They go to this upstairs room and it's packed with all these clothes that she's made to give away to people in need. It's like the original clothes closet that Dorcas puts together. Um, She's so important to the mission of the early church that when she dies, God actually uses Peter to raise her from the dead. And this great room, Revival springs up in Joppa, where she's from. Why? Because everybody knows and loves Dorcas. Why? Because they know what she's always doing. She's always helping others. She's always caring for the needs of the poor. And so again, just a question for us to think about is, what are you always doing? What am I always doing? So last week, Pastor Steve did a great job reminding us that we are designed by God for relationships. We talked about reconnect to relationships. And today we're going to see that same concept that we are designed for service. So last week we looked in Genesis chapter 2, which is before the fall of mankind. And so we see that God's original design, we read in Genesis chapter 2, is that it is not good for man to be alone. And in the same way, in Genesis 2, 15, we read this. It says, the Lord God, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. So we see that even the original design uh, of mankind is to work, right? Our design is not to sit around and wait for someone else to serve us. We were actually designed by God to work and to serve. And then in this this age, when we become a, a Christian, when we become a follower of Christ, we become a new creation in Christ. And we take on the role of a servant. In fact, you could say that we are a servant of the most high God. And when we serve others, it's as if we're serving Christ. In fact, you guys right up there on the screen, that's the big idea for this morning. I am a servant of the most high God. When I serve others, I am serving Christ. Let's say this together one time. Say it with me. I am a servant of the most high God. And when I serve others, I am serving Christ. Awesome. So how do we do that? How do we develop that heart of service? How do we begin to to put on that identity and lean into that identity as a servant of Christ and put it into practice? And I'm gonna suggest three images that we see in scripture. Um, I actually originally heard these uh, described in a message by a, a pastor named Craig Groeschel, who says that we should learn to do three things as we grow in service. We should learn to bring a lunch, to offer a ride, and to carry a towel. Bring a lunch, offer a ride, and carry a towel. What does he mean by that? First of all, we need to learn to bring a lunch. And to find this story, you have to go all the way back into the Old Testament in the book of First Samuel, which is where we read the story of King David. Now, for 3,000 years, people have loved the story of King David. The story of David defeating Goliath is talked about time and time again to describe what a hero is really like. We look at David and we think, man, he was the goat. When it comes to being a king, he was the greatest at it. And we usually think that David 
David is considered the goat because he was powerful, because he was a warrior, because he was courageous, because he had a heart after God and all of those things. And yet we see that actually the original uh, first sign of David's true leadership is not that he kills Goliath or does any great battle. The first sign of David's leadership, an act of heroism, is that he brings a lunch. Maybe you remember the story. David is the youngest of eight sons. Jesse's got eight sons. And so one day, all of the other seven sons are off at the battlefield, at the front lines, getting ready to do battle with the Philistines. David is the youngest. David is the smallest. He gets left at home where he's actually taking care of the sheep. Well, one day his dad calls him and he says, David, I need you to do something. I need you to bring a lunch. So 1 Samuel 17, 17 says this. It says, take the basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. And so David wants to get in the battle. David would love to do battle with Goliath or any of those other Philistines. And yet he recognizes that the first thing he has to do is he has to do this behind the scenes kind of thing of bringing a lunch. And what I want to suggest to you is King David's pathway to greatness begins with a simple act of behind-the-scenes service. He does something that nobody else recognizes as important, right? Because we said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, that doesn't come through self-promotion, right? You don't climb the ladder in the, the kingdom. The pathway of greatness is not look at me and look how great I am. The pathway to greatness is through simple acts of service. Oftentimes these are behind the scenes. They are going to be selfless. Oftentimes they are going to be unrecognized or underappreciated by others, but trust me, they are seen and they are celebrated by God. Now this kind of especially kind of thankless service is not popular in our world, right? Remember 54% of teenagers want to be famous. They want to be a celebrity. But if you're a follower of Christ, you are a servant of the most high God. And when you serve others, it's as if you are actually serving Christ. And so that means I don't have to do it to get recognized. I don't have to do it to be great. I can do it just to do a simple, sometimes unseen act of service. You know who's great at this? Pastor Steve Newman. He was a senior pastor of this church for over 20 years. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen that guy walking through the parking lot picking up trash or in the bushes picking up trash. Why? Because when you're in the kingdom of God, there's no job that's below you. There's no person that is below you, right? That's, that's not how it works. When we climb the ladder, we climb the ladder to be a servant of the most high God. And when we serve others, even the lowest, it's as if we're serving Christ. And so if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you got to learn to bring a lunch. But that's not it. You also have to learn to offer a ride. You got to learn to offer a ride. And there's this great prophecy that we find in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. So this is actually 550 years. We know the date uh, specifically, 550 years before Christ comes onto the scene. And there's this prophecy given by the, 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 the prophet Zechariah who says this, there'll come a day when you will see your king coming to you righteous and victorious. Awesome. Talking about the Messiah, but he will come lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the full of a donkey. 
And, and just that itself is scandalous. Because when you talk about the king and you talk about the Messiah coming, you would expect that when the Messiah comes in, he's going to be riding on a white horse. He's going to be riding in a, you know, a chariot surrounded by servants, surrounded by soldiers, all these kind of things. And yet Zechariah says, no, he's going to come in on this young little never before ridden donkey. For us, it'd be kind of like some celebrity showing up, you know, to walk on the red carpet and we would expect them to come in some big stretch limo or something like that, right? And it'd be like them rolling up in their tuxedo and their fancy dress on a little scooter or something like that. It's it just, it, it doesn't compute. The image doesn't make sense. Well, Zachariah says this is how it's going to happen. And 550 years pass by, and later on in the Gospel of Luke, we see that when it comes time for Jesus to enter Jerusalem, which again is an act of service of himself, he's going to Jerusalem to give up his life. And when he goes into Jerusalem one last time, he tells his disciples, I want you to do this. You need to go up ahead, and you're going to find a donkey. And this donkey has never been ridden before. And tell the owner, tell the owner of that little donkey that the Lord is needs it. And that's exactly what happens. Luke 19, 32 through 34 says this. It says, those disciples who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And this man gives his donkey for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem in. And I want you to notice a few things uh, that this guy doesn't do. Because interesting, this is another person. We don't even know his name. We know less about him than we know about Dorcas. And yet he is someone who plays the significant part in the kingdom simply by offering what he has so that Jesus can ride in on his donkey. And notice what this guy doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, you know, that's my, my favorite donkey or, you know, this is my low mileage donkey. This one's never been ridden before. And so I'm not sure I could give it up for that. No, he says, if the Lord needs it, what I have is yours, right? And the way to become a servant in the kingdom is to recognize that my possessions, my talents, my skills, my time, we want to hold on to these things so tightly. But in the kingdom of God, to become great, we have to recognize that those things are not truly ours. Those are things that God has given to us. And so we want to hold them with an open hand. And if we're going to become great in the kingdom of God, the key to kingdom greatness is to offer my time and my talent and my treasure to Christ. To say, Jesus, if I have it, it is yours and I am at your disposal. Why? Because I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the most high God. That's my identity. That's who I am. And when I serve others, it's as if I'm serving Christ. And so you got to bring a lunch. You got to offer a ride. But the third thing I want to suggest is you got to learn to carry a towel. And i got to learn to carry a towel. This image, of course, comes from Jesus himself. On the night before Jesus was to be crucified, he celebrates the Passover meal with his, suburbs, uh, his um, uh, disciples. That's where we talk about uh, communion from often. But on that same night, Jesus did something unthinkable. When he took a basin of water and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, we've heard about this a lot before we, you know, so we kind of think it's a a normal sort of thing. And it was a common courtesy to offer to wash someone's feet in that culture. It's like if you came to my house, I would say, can I take your coat? Can I, you know, get you a drink or something like that? Um, But let's be honest about this. Feet are nasty, right? Would you not all agree? Especially if they'd been walking around on dusty roads all day long. And so it was a courtesy to offer to wash their feet. But who did that? 
slave did that. The servant did that. And here you see Jesus, who is the guest of honor, who is the most important person in the room. And he gets down on his knees. And you guys, this is the word of God who was with God in the beginning and spoke and the world came into being. But he took on flesh and he came to be with us. This is the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the one who is the lion from the tribe of Judah. This is the bread of life. This is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the light of the world. This is all of those things with a towel around his waist, bending down and washing feet. Because Jesus is teaching them and teaching us a kingdom lesson. And the kingdom lesson is the best kind of leadership is servant leadership. The best kind of leadership is kingdom or is servant leadership. And I think this is super relevant for the church at this very moment in history. Because we're at a a difficult time, especially in the church in the West and specifically the church in, in North America. This is a difficult time. But if you think about this, Jesus is getting ready when he washes his disciples' feet to send them out where they are literally going to change the world. These are 12 12 guys at this time, and they are going to go out and change the world. We are here 2,000 years later because the message that these 12 men carried passed on and passed on and passed on. We're 2,000 years separated. We're on the other side of the world, and we are part of 2 billion people that follow this person, Jesus Christ, because of these 12 people. And before Jesus sends them out, he says, here's what you're going to need to do. This is your most important strategy. You carry a towel. You don't win by force. You don't win by screaming the loudest. You don't win by lording it over people. You win by service. And if we're going to make an impact in this world, people aren't looking for a church that's screaming the loudest. People aren't looking for a church that's demanding their rights. People are looking for servants of the Most High God who recognize that when we serve even the least of these, we are serving Christ. That is our identity. That is who we are. Well, you say, Glenn, you keep talking about this idea that when you're serving others, you're, you're serving Christ. How does, that, how does that work? Well, we've jumped around to a lot of different scriptures this morning. Let me just give you one final one from Matthew chapter 25. I'm just gonna tell it to you, but if you wanna kind of turn to Matthew chapter 25 and follow along, um, that would be great. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus famously describes an event that is going to take place in the future. Jesus says this is not something that happens when he is here as the suffering servant and when he's here for his first coming, but he describes something that is going to take place at his second coming when Jesus comes as the conquering king in power and authority. And he says, when Jesus comes as the conquering king, there's this amazing image. It says, all of the nations will be gathered before him. What an amazing thing. King Jesus and all of the nations gathered before him. And Jesus is going to do what a shepherd does. He's going to divide people. And on the right are going to be the sheep. And on the left are going to be the kind of an interesting thing. It's the goats that go on the left. Kind of an interesting little phrase in light of what we're talking about. And he says about the sheep, he says this. He says, the sheep are going to enter into what he calls the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He says, you think this earth that you're living in is beautiful and amazing. There is a place for you that has been prepared since the creation of the world. And now sheep, you are ready to enter into that. 
And then to the goats, he says, you will be sent into what is described as an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And you think, well, what's the, what's the difference? What, what happens here? And Jesus, when he gets to it, talks about whether people really know him or not. And the way they demonstrate whether they know him or not is by the way that they serve. Because Jesus says to the sheep, he says, oh yeah, enter into, the, enter into the, the, the reward. Because when I was hungry, you gave me food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you gave me some clothes. And when I was in prison or I was sick, you visited me and you cared for me. And they're like, well, Jesus, we never saw you in any of those things. How, how, did, how, did, how do we ever do that? And Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these people, you do it for me. When I serve others, it's as if I'm serving Christ. And then Jesus is going to say to the goats, he's going to say, no, depart from me. He says, because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked. I was in prison. I was, you know, all these things. And, and you weren't there for me. And the, the, the goats are going to say, Jesus, we had no idea. If we would have seen you, Jesus, if I would have known it was you there, I definitely would have given you something to eat. And I definitely would have given you some water. And Jesus famously says, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. That's why our, our very identity, if we are followers of Christ, is we are servants of the Most High God. So that when we serve others, we are serving Christ. So today our theme is reconnect to service. So this short little three-week series that we're doing called Reconnect, um, our goal is to look at just some really significant habits and spiritual practices that are really important at any time in life. But some of these are habits and maybe spiritual practices that may have kind of slipped away a little bit over these last 14 months. But these are practices that are going to truly help us grow and be who we are designed to be. In fact, one clear application of all of this is to make sure that each of us has a place to serve. When we talk about First Baptist Church and we talk about, you know, how does a person get the most out of First Baptist Church? Now there's, you know, there's, there's our personal time with God. There's our personal time in the Word, some of those kind of things. But when it comes to, you know, how do I, how do I really get the most in my relationship with God by my relationship with the church? There's kind of three things that I always suggest unapologetically. One is to be a part of the Sunday worship gathering like you are here. This is where we read the Bible together. This is where we worship together. This is where we come together. That's really important for our growth. We also say that um, getting involved in a, a smaller group or a class, that's what Steve, Steve talked about last week. We're designed for relationships. So we need to be in a place where we can share life with one another, get in a group, get in a class. And the third thing that we unapologetically say is if I'm going to get the most, I have to find my place to serve. I have to find my place to serve. And so today when you came in, you may have noticed out front, we have a ministry fair and outside, and we are going to get out of church early today so that everybody has a chance to, uh, to, to take a look at that. Um, outside, there's, I think, 25 different tables that represents all kinds of different uh, ministries. On the back of your message notes, you could just see uh, some of those. And I'm telling you, especially coming out of um, COVID, we definitely have some needs for volunteers in the church. But I want to say something very clearly right here. We are not necessarily doing a ministry fair because we need to fill all the volunteer spots. Absolutely, there are places that need to be filled. But we are focusing on this and we are doing this because we believe that we are better 
when we're serving. And the, one of the ways that I find out who, what my real identity is, is not by holding on tightly, but by giving things away. So, so hear me loud and clear. The goal is not to trick you into, you know, signing up to be a volunteer for the next five years. This is between you and God to find the place that is going to fit well for you. In fact, I heard a story just this last week, kind of a sad story of a, a young man who grew up in this church. Now he lives in another city. And he talked about going to this church um, for a little bit. And he served in all these different ministries. But he said the whole time he was there, he always just felt like he was just a, like a, he was just only there to, to fill their needs, like only there to, to, to do their, their, their jobs. And eventually he, he kind of pulled away and has left the church. And he says, it's like they didn't even notice. And, and that's terrible. That is not what we want to happen here. The idea is not to force you into service. The idea is to recognize that we are designed by God to work and to serve now, uh, let me say one other thing about the ministry fair today. Um, uh, the ministry fair today focuses on ministries of the church and ministries in the church. There are a lot of different things that this church is involved with, that you are involved with, that are out in the community, that are in your neighborhood, that are around the world. We need to be involved in all of those kind of things as well. But the ministry fair today specifically focuses on ministries in the church. So I know what some of you may be thinking. You may be thinking, you know, all this service stuff in the church sounds great, but that is not me, right? I, I don't know enough. I don't know my Bible well enough. I, I, don't, I can't do that. I'm not gifted. I can't teach, you know, I can't sing or play an instrument. I'm too busy. What do I have to offer? Somebody else will do it. And I knew that you would be thinking these things. And so just this last Sunday, I took a little stroll around the church campus and I took a few snapshots of some people um, that were making a huge impact for the kingdom. Like these two people that we see right up here that were saying, you know what? I could learn to be a barista and serve coffee. And they do that because, you know, it provides a great atmosphere when you come in. The caffeine helps you stay awake through the sermon, which we greatly appreciate. But you know what? It's much bigger than that. Do you know that, that through all of the proceeds that are there, a school in India is supported. We're over 100 kids that wouldn't have a chance to go to school, get to go to school. Because people like this say, sure, I could learn to be a barista. Or what about this father and son who are part of the grace and, ministry, grace and mercy of food ministry that puts food out all around the community and here on Sundays, they provide it here at First Baptist. Or what about this mother and daughter who are working together in the two-year-old class and they sit together on the floor and they minister to our little two-year-old so mom and dad can hallelujah get a short break in here. They're the only ones that are sad to hear that church might go a little short today because... <laughs> Hey, you have Pastor Glenn's permission. You don't have to go pick him up right away. Just take the whole time. Um, but you may say, ah, oh, that's nothing. That's just watching kids. You know what? Just this last week, I had a, a, a teenager from our church in my office and she was telling me about her kind of her faith journey. And she says, when I was a little kid, I asked Jesus into my heart because one of the people in my little, my little preschool classes offered me that invitation. And now I'm ready to follow Christ in baptism because there were people that worked in the children's ministry? Or how about these two people that are, are working at the at-home center, making sure that people uh, that have needs in their family can get resources that are going to help them? Or how about these two people who volunteered 
tirelessly all fall long for like seven or eight months as leaders in our distance learning center. When kids couldn't go to school and maybe they didn't have a safe place at home, we said, come here. And people like that volunteered their time. Or what about this uh, intimidating guy who's the parking lot security team right there? And uh, he's uh, more than just providing security. He's offering a welcome face, saying, welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. And also making sure that your car doesn't get broken into. Um, How about these guys that are hidden away in a closet even as we speak? They're the AV team mixing together the sound and the video so that it could go into the, to the gym and into the chapel and out on the internet so that people in our community and people all around the world can be a part of the church family in that way. How about Donna who shows up uh, every week to take care of all of the plants around the church so that things look nice when we come? Or what about these three guys named Steve who showed up on Saturday uh, a couple weeks ago to offer the morning in landscaping? What about these ladies who get together to plan and to pray so that they can teach women's Bible studies? And we have close to a couple hundred women that are in Bible study through this church because faithful people say, sure, I can do that. Or what about these uh, this person right here? Uh, Nicole's actually a teacher. She teaches all week long, and yet she said, you know what, I want to serve. And so she said, sure, I'll be an upward coach. I don't know anything about basketball, but I want to make sure that kids have a great experience and they get to know Jesus. Or what about this motley crew right here who are willing to be yelled at and uh, berated by parents and coaches and occasionally even a kid Because again, they say, we want to make sure that these kids have a chance to experience the goodness of what a church is like, even if it has to do with playing basketball. And there are many, many more who do those kind of things. And why do we do it? Because we are servants of the Most High God. And when we serve others, it's as if we're serving Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the powerful teaching of your word, really from beginning to end, all the way from Genesis through Revelation. We see your plan for us, Lord, to be servants, servants who serve you first and foremost. And we get to do that by loving others. So I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters gathered here today, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to lay down our lives in service of others. Father, we pray for those that might be considering joining a ministry or at least finding out about it, that you would really lead them. We thank you for the many people that are serving. I pray, Lord, that you would grow this church and that our message would be one of Christ-like love and sacrifice for a world in need. We love you, Lord. And I thank you for each person that's gathered here today. Bless and comfort and encourage and challenge us because we are yours and we are here to serve you. In Christ's name, amen.